Hey friends, before the show I'd like to plug the store of our friends at Terracotta Distribution. At their storefront, shop.terracottadistribution.com, you'll find a wide range of Asian DVDs and Blu-rays from Kim Kidak to Jackie Chan, from Ho Shao Shen to Bloody Muscle Bodybuilder in Hell, aka the Japanese Evil Dead. This was even put out on a limited run VHS, folks. New titles are being added regularly, and if you go to shop.terracottadistribution.com and enter the discount code POFN. 10 that's p-o-f-n-1-0 this gives podcast on fire network listeners 10 percent off at checkout the discount code is p-o-f-n-10 and visit shop.terracottadistribution.com for more and let's get on with the show Welcome to Podcast on Fire on The Legend of Wisely and Barry Mihai. Hong Kong's Indiana Jones-style adventurer Wisely has been featured on the big screen in movies such as The Seventh Curse and The Cat, both of which have been covered here on the network. But this time we're diving a little bit deeper into the celluloid adventures uh, of uh, Wisely as we watch Sam Hoy in the role chase a dragon pearl in The Legend of Wisely from 1987. Also, a Feng Shui blockbuster looking all kinds of expensive in the form of Bury Me High from 1991 will be discussed. My name is Kenneby and I need some things explained to me slash I, I like talking to these boys. So uh, my co-hosts uh, for this episode are none other than uh, Paul Fox and Kevin Ma of the East Screen West Screen. So we'll start with Paul. Good morning and hello. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, because we're coming from uh, different time zones across the planet. Mm-hmm. And we're also going to call the Hong Kong jury for their Eurovision points. So, hello, Kevin, and <laughs> how, how much do you give uh, Sweden? Ten points for Sweden, obviously. <laughs> um, good, good, good morning, good afternoon. And, uh, yeah, hi, this is Kevin from Calling from Hong Kong. Excellent. Uh, well, um, it's um, we, we don't do this enough, of course. I always like uh, having you guys uh, on, but uh, I thought uh, it would be nice because... Um, you know, I've I have limited exposure, I think, to at least the uh, inner going going ons of uh, wisely and uh, the history of uh, the character and its creators. So that that's why I chose to focus on in this episode. And maybe you guys can uh, contribute your own experiences uh, with uh, the character in uh, writing or uh, in TV or in film as we as we go along here. But uh, I might as well ask you this off the bat because the movies are not going to come up as much in the discussion. So we start with you, Paul. Those two movies, The Seventh Curse and The Cat, which is from the same director, Nam Nai Choi, have those um, uh, been screened in front of you or, or, or at least one of them a bit too gooey and gory for your tastes? I've only seen bits and pieces of, of The Seventh Curse before, um, even despite it being a Chow Yun Fat uh, you know, uh, helmed film. Um, but the cat is one that I return to frequently. Um, I have a lot of love for that film. And I, I guess as we get into talking a little bit about the differences between the films uh, and the source material, which is 
probably going to come up uh, quite a bit with today's two films. Uh, you know, we'll talk a little bit about eventually across this series and the one that will follow it. Um, what stands out uh, amongst the scope of wisely films, uh, as it were, you know, and towards uh, the better ones versus the ones that are not so good. And for me, the cat is probably at the top of the list. Ironically, it has a weak wisely played by Weiss Lee. That, that, <laughs> that always tickles me. I, I don't I don't care if you pronounce his English name Y C Lee, but I'll I'll call him Weiss Lee and that's uh that's the end of that discussion. Uh, but it's it's such a fantastic spectacle uh, in on all our fronts, so it's okay to have a weak, you know, adventure novelist in um, in that one. But um it's uh it's it's fantastic. I rewatched it uh, not too long ago. How about you, Kevin? How 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 deep uh, does this uh, exposure to the character, whether in film and TV, uh, run for you? Well, here's the thing: I'm I'm the one from Hong Kong, so I should have been exposed to Wisely, Wesley, whichever. You should have all the books in front of you right now in a neat yes. neat row. But it's the wrong generation for me, Ken. <laughs> I'm not like that. Oh, sorry, Paul. <laughs> it's like one generation before me, so I think its its peak was around the, the 70s and 80s. And I was born in uh, early '80s, so so I wasn't really quite exposed to it. My first, my first exposure to Wesley, at, at least um, the character, at least in watching really a story about the character, is was unfortunately Wesley's Mysterious Wives, which is the possibly the worst introduction to the character. Even though Andy Lau, I still think is the best Wesley. But yeah, otherwise, I mean, of course, I've heard of it, and um, actually, I was going to bring this up. The uh, other another Nikon. Um, character that actually crossed paths with Wesley in The Seventh Curse, uh, Dr. Yuan. Uh, that's another Nikon novel series. And he got like a, he actually got a TV series adaptation in the early 90s starring Leon Lai. And I remember watching that when I was a kid. So that was actually my sort of first uh, contact with that quote unquote universe, you know, the Nikon universe. But yeah, Wesley, otherwise, this I, I, haven't, I haven't seen The Seventh Curse. I haven't seen The Cat. And so, but I mean, of course, I know about Wesley. I've heard about Wesley. A lot of people talk about Wesley, even though I, I don't know if we should even talk about the, the source material for these two films, because it, the, the two films that we're talking about today, just after doing some research, I realized they go so far away from the origin material. I was like, should we even talk about them? <laughs> it's so <Yeah>. weird. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard, too, because there's no I mean, if you're on if you, if you don't read Chinese, there, there's really nothing you can do to get in touch with the source material outside of a very limited edition uh, comic slash manga run out of Singapore by um, artist uh, Wee Tian Bang. Okay, and he did um, he did um, a serialization of the Wisely stories um, called the Eventual Adventures of Wisely, which I believe originally ran in Ming Pao in Hong Kong. Um, and some publication in, in Singapore, and they've been collected into what was originally stated as going to be 10 volumes, but there's actually only eight out there that you can still get a hold of through eBay and uh, sometimes on Amazon. They're not listed as like a volume one, volume two, but there's eight titles in that, and uh, obviously there is a publication order of some of his more famous adventures. Um, and so that was my kind of... Uh, outside after after I saw the cat originally, that was really my my introduction to the Wisely character, and that's the as far as I know, that's the only English adaptation of Wisely stories out there. There's lots of stuff. If you look up the author on Amazon, you can find lots of his books, you know, his Chinese books out there. 
various publications. Um, it's you know, as Kevin said, he's he's got multiple characters. I mean, he's worked, he he's done you know worked on movies too. So he's got a lot of stuff to his name, and it can be difficult to sort through. But for English speakers, English readers only, as far as I've seen to date, that's the only thing that's been translated. And it's unfortunate because it's. I mean, I don't think he's in the same realm as uh, as Jin Young, you know, Gam Young in terms, Louis Cha in terms of um, some of his international recognition for his characters. Um, Jin Young has done, you know, the Condor Heroes series, and um, he's responsible for a lot of other adaptations that were serialized that got turned into movies that I think a lot of Hong Kong cinema fans would recognize. But even his works, you know, Louis Cha's works um, have only had a few things uh, translated and published into English. In fact, at the time of this recording this year, there's a new translation that's out there. You can get them on Amazon and uh, in audiobook form too by, I believe the translator is uh, Gigi Cheng. She's done the first two of the Condor Heroes novels and i believe they're planning to do the rest of the series um so those are out there but for for the wesley stuff yeah unfortunately it's just um it's just a pretty dry well uh, the, the, the movies i think are popular but not necessarily the the fans don't attach to yeah that's a wesley movie right they have fun but they, they, they have other spectacle that don't scream wisely or wesley uh the seventh curse is you know it's a gooey gory special effects movie lots of cameos uh, pretty crazy and you don't think about uh how amazing it is that it's a, a wisely movie at the same time so which is a good thing because it's an, an amazing film i mean here's the thing about the two films we're talking about today i mean um we're going to talk about box office performance later but just to bring up something that these both films had the misfortune of being released in the same month as a jackie chan adventure Oh, is this oh, is the same for, case for Bear Me High as well? It, it clashed yes, with Jackie. Yeah. Oh boy! Yeah, the first one, the first one came uh, the same time as the first Armor of God, and the second one came within a month before. I think it came a month before Operation Condor. <laughs> so you have this clearly vastly superior international, you know, espionage adventure thing going on, and we got Wesley. So they're like, "Why would we want to watch Wesley? We got Jackie Chan coming next month." So, so that was the unfortunate coincidence with these two films. Let's uh, get into it. I'm just going to breeze through the contact information and then let you guys do whatever plugging you like. So for all your Podcast on Fire network needs, go to podcastonfire.com. Social media links are available. Any relevant links that uh, might come out of this uh, episode, uh, trailer reviews or uh, whatever thing come up in the discussion that will be placed in the show post and um, all that good stuff. And I'll link to my writing as well. So I'll throw over to the guys. So Paul, I want to throw out a plug for... Um, for the uh, podcast and uh, if uh, people doesn't uh, don't know uh, they you've uh, recorded uh, an episode or two this year that's uh, in the vault uh, currently yes it is a east screen west screen and uh, we've been on hiatus for a while and uh, despite having at the time of this recording uh, a couple uh, episodes in the backlog i am hamstrung by uh, technology <laughs> at the moment because <laughs> i'm I'm a bit uh, befuddled by a certain piece of software that I was using that I haven't been able to find a replacement for, but we don't need to get in the weeds with that um, because we do have the archive out there. And of course, there's always lots of good stuff to listen to right here on the Podcast on Fire Network. Apple, can I send in a cassette tape with my podcast? <laughs> Will that work? I no. wish. It would be so much easier. Like I'll send it by post. It's going to be a few months because we're living in uh, strange times, but uh, it'll, it'll, it'll be with you soon enough. Can can cook himself, um, uh, pick it up and put it on iTunes? Is that how it works? 
No, fuck. Uh, so <laughs> about to look up the archive at any rate. Kevin, anything uh, you want to plug uh, specifically uh, uh, that's going on uh, this year, this special year of 2020? Well, um, I've subtitled a few films that are coming out this year. Right now, my Prince Edward and Sook Sook are making their, their festival rounds. I have Septet, The Story of Hong Kong, which is the Milky Way omnibus film that was selected for Cannes. Of course, it's not playing at Cannes because there's no Cannes, but it will be playing around film festivals uh, around the world soon, I guess. And I've got a couple of other films that I've subtitled that aren't ready to be reviewed to the world yet. I, I know I can, I can review the titles, but the films aren't ready to be released yet. Uh, so, for example, 77 Heartwarmings, which is a sequel to 77 Heartbreaks, a film called Just One Day starring uh, Charlene Choi and, and Wan Cho Lam, which I know it sounds like a weird combination. But, uh, yeah, that film also will come out sometime this year, I think. And the Hong Kong International Film Festival is... Um, Hopefully, it will be held in late August. I wrote a couple of blurbs there. Um, and yeah, that that's it for now. Are they doing any online aspect of that? Or is that just going to go ahead as normal? No, that should go ahead as normal. Um, maybe they'll do the whole like the, the staggered seating thing. But otherwise, no, it's going to be purely a physical festival. Film Mart is going to go online, though. It's going to go virtual because they're not really expecting foreign vid- visitors to come to Hong Kong. Uh, for the next couple of months. Uh, so that will be virtual, but the film festival itself, that should be physical. Uh, let, let's rewind a little bit. Uh, you, did you uh, did you say you translated the uh, the drama, uh, Suk Suk, or whatever English uh, retitle it's going to get when it comes to America? It got an English retitle in America called Twilight's Kiss. Hmm. I did not come up with that title. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, pref- I personally prefer Suk Suk. But yeah, that's, that's the, yeah, I, I, sub- I revised the subtitles on it. Right on. Because I've been looking forward to it. It's been getting some good buzz as a uh, natural, warm, uh, it's a gay drama, right? Yes, yes. It's an excellent film. I, I definitely recommend it. So um, uh, looking forward to that. Uh, okay, a little um, musical break is going to happen now. Uh, presumably I'm going to find uh, a, a little uh, snippet out of a Sam Hoy uh, out of the uh, so Sam Hoy theme that uh, accompanied The Legend of Wisely from 1987. And uh, we'll be right back to uh, give you the rundown and uh, get the show on the road. And welcome back. And as I said, we have a few sections to cover. So I thought I'd let you know um, what uh, those sections are and that there are timestamps available in the show post so you can navigate around the episode if you like. So first, in the Legend of Wisely section, we'll talk of its uh, creator and uh, prolific author, Nick Huang, plus a little on the reception uh, box office-wise of the film that, uh, as Kevin said, uh, came out uh, the same day as a certain uh, Armor of God. So that was a losing battle right out of the gate. Uh, but um, regardless, uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk of that. Then we'll review the movie itself. Uh, we'll take a little break. And after that, uh, the, the Bury Me High section follows with some notes. And uh, maybe talk of the director, choice Huming, And uh, we then review Bury Me High. So let's get going. The Legend of Wisely from 1987. A plot uh, from HKMDB. A little simple summarization. David, played by Teddy Robin, also the director of the film, tricks writer and adventurer Wisely, played by Sam Hoy, into helping him steal the mysterious and magical dragon pearl from a group of monks. 
David then dumps wisely and runs off to the triads with the pearl before taking before being taken by the mysterious Howard Hope, played by Bruce Barron. Luckily, wisely doesn't bear a grudge and teams up with Sue, played by Joey Wong, to go and rescue both David and recover the dragon pearl. Big old, big old adventure, and it is big. Is it any good or not? We'll get to that. But uh, so across two episodes uh, here, we'll dive further into uh, the movie adaptations of novelist Ni Kuang's creation of the character of Wisely. You know, there are supernatural adventures, at least in the movie form, that uh, features this character, and it has been um, seen. Uh, he has been seen in movies. His adventures, whether uh, adapted or not. In movies such as The Seven Curse, where he was played by Chiang Fat, uh, but he's a, he's a supporting character in the film. Chin uh, uh, Siu Ho is the the lead um, lead character of the film, and also the movie The Cat, where, that we mentioned, where Wisely plays Wisely, and uh, I mentioned those up front because there are reviews of them in the podcast on Fire Network archive. So uh, go to the director series and search those movies as they are part of the director Nam Night Choi coverage, uh, who was the helmer of uh, both those films. But uh, we'll repeat some info from those uh, shows uh, uh, because uh, we got a multifaceted uh, creator at hand here, Ni Kuang, who never stopped writing, neither novels nor uh, movies. Well, at one point he kind of stopped writing, but for a while he uh, he was uh, he was uh, uh, a little busy bee. So the character Wisely and the series of books as created by novelist Ni Kuang, they are adventure science fiction novels uh, starring that uh, character. And uh, in novel form, he has to date appeared in 150 six novels that covers 161 stories in total and Nick Wang wrote 150 of these and uh, the writers that filled out the rest uh, of uh, that volume of novels were granted permission to write for the character of uh, Nick Wang. Uh, the first 94 stories initially appeared in serial form in the Hong Kong newspaper Ming Pao from 1963 to 1992. Hey, you were old enough to read newspapers, why didn't you read uh, the, sto- the Adventures of Wisely, Kevin? <laughs> As they were republished. <laughs> Maybe Ming Pao was not my my newspaper of choice at home. <laughs> so that, it was a mighty round, though, obviously. Um, but they had a little gap uh, in in the the publication of uh, those stories in serial form for about five years in the seventies. But uh, they picked it up eventually. And uh, when that was all done, uh, these were printed and published in book form in nineteen ninety two, uh, uh, the same year as the, as uh, they uh, concluded the run in the Ming Pao that. Uh, uh, that book of stories came out. There was a fear at one point that Nick Wang's works were lost forever since the newspaper didn't keep all the copies of the material that they published. But uh, apparently, a reader came to the rescue who did provide, <laughs> who did archive the stuff, and thus the book collection could go ahead, presumably in complete fashion. I mean, that 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 would be so depressing if such a you know, it's so Hong Kong cinema, and I guess it's so Hong Kong newspaper as well, that when when it's out there, we don't need to keep this. So into the fire it goes, so into the bin it goes. So just like yeah, movies with discarded footage or, or even negatives uh, overall don't get stored uh, because it's uh, we're moving ahead. We're not looking backwards. So see you, see you, Bruce Lee, rare footage and all of that. Presumably it could all be um, completed. Uh, and by the publication of book number 131 in 1999, Nick Huang announced that he would be stepping away from writing the Wisely series, and I think he earned a little break. In terms of structure and content, uh, the novels are narrated from Wisely or Wesley's point of view. The, the Nam Nai Choi movies, uh, The Seventh Curse and The Cat, use that approach to a degree as well. Uh, I mean, uh, even though he doesn't play Wisely, Nick Huang appears in the seventh curse uh, in in a cameo uh, he's uh, he's holding court and telling stories and uh, you you then see him uh, 
tell Chin Su Ho or Chaya Fat, tell that time you're in Thailand and all that Gugori stuff happened, and then the movie starts. Uh, so uh, Chaya Fat wisely uh, tells the tale, essentially. The setting in the books were modern, between 1960s and 2000s, um, in a Hong Kong-inspired environment. Um, but I, I don't personally know if he ever jumped ahead in a timeline, even if writing a particular story in the 70s. Uh, I mean, have you guys heard anything about how he wrote or when he wrote, that was the setting. If he wrote in 1975, that was the setting. If he wrote in 1985, that was the setting. Or Do you know anything about that, Paul? I don't know for his Chinese works. I do know that the English adaptations of the Singapore manga were pretty uh, they were done in uh, the late 90s so i think um first couple issues were compiled in around 96 97 and they were fairly modern adaptations the style was very reminiscent of like city hunter style so wisely is you know looks very much like uh, ryu uh, the lead character from um, city hunter and the way the women are drawn that's we tian bang's artistic style is kind of leaning in that direction. So his retellings of the stories were very much from sort of that 90s um, Japanese manga sensibility. And I think the films are kind of reflective of that, you know, too. I mean, because as you look at, uh, obviously, the when we get to Andy's version uh, in the sort of post-millennial, uh, it's a very different look than, say, the cat or um, how, how uh, even... Uh, Tim Carlock portrays him in, in today's film, Bury Me High. On the name, on the inspiration of the name, the name Wesley was inspired by a Wesley village along Taihang Road near Jardine's Lookout in Hong Kong. And uh, that uh, village was named after John Wesley, who was an English cleric uh, who founded the Methodist movement in Protestant uh, Christianity. So just because I'm curious, is that at all a, a significant um, location in sort of hong kong uh you know is it a tourist attraction at all or is it just a place a regular place nowadays i've never heard of the road <laughs> i've never seen the road because lay because the third character lay literally means like ling so it's not a very uh it wouldn't be a very major road it's, it's probably just a small ling or a small sort of avenue but yeah no i haven't i haven't i don't even know his name after a road <laughs> Hopefully it's correcting for that I pulled from the internet. So uh, I'm, I'm relying on that. And the internet is never wrong. <laughs> like the last edited by Kevin Ma and then I pulled my research like, hey, he's trying to <laughs> fool me here into saying stupid stuff on the show. Uh, Wisely's backstory as created by Ni Kuang was that he was born in, into a wealthy family who ran a trading company. But um, the, the parents' stories are apparently not touched upon as such, not extensively anyway. And um, the, therefore there are presumptions that they died early in his life. Uh, Wisely is active in the family company, being on the board of directors, but is not running daily activities because he's busy traveling the world and tending to its mysteries and adventures. Because uh, uh, there, there are cool aliens and supernatural beings to deal with, uh, after all. Uh, so Nikwang therefore seemed busy enough, you would assume, uh, and there would be no time to do anything else. Wrong, because that name might spark a memory, or hundred if you watch your share of Shaw Brothers movies, because this man has 220 screenplay credits, many for director Chang Che, but he was trusted with any genre at Shaw Brothers, uh, ranging from writing the Black Magic movies, Inframan, Killer Clans, and the Magic Blade for director Cho Yun. Uh, but his uh, classic uh, works uh, for Chang Che also includes uh, One on Swordsman, Have Sword Will Travel, The Heroic Ones, Vengeance, The Water Margin, and uh, The Blood Brothers. So 
Uh, further adventures in media for the character of Wisely, including a handful of TV series, uh, one in Taiwan from 1983 called The Legend of Wisely, just uh, like our movie at hand here. A 1998 series out of Singapore was called The New Adventures of Wisely. And uh, Hong Kong have uh, done a series or several as well. Uh, one was called uh, The W Files in um, that was made in 2003, starring Galen Lowe. And finally, The Great Adventurer Wisely was a 2018 Chinese online TV series starring Sean Yu. I'll, I'll throw over to the room. Uh, and any familiarity with um, with these uh, TV series ventures, either the very recent ones or the very old ones? If, if we start with you, Kevin, because uh, may, may, maybe some came on TV screens uh, late at night or in the afternoon where, where you were just channel surfing or whatever. Right. No, the last one I should have watched was probably the Sean Yu series, but um, that was made for a China market, and I don't, I don't really watch much Chinese-language TV series anymore. Um, so the last one... My real only contact with this character um, is with the Andy Lau film. I, I'm saying this quietly because I'm I'm, I'm kind of ashamed of it. But um, yeah, <laughs> otherwise, um, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's one of the most popular names. I mean, it's one of the most adapt often adapted characters out there. So I'm not surprised that even Singapore and Taiwan has joined in the fun. What, what about you, Paul? Uh, have you um, did did you see anything in real time? Did you seek out anything uh, in the TV series? I was desperate to watch the recent uh, adaptation starring Sean Yu because when they were initially promoting it um, through various social media channels, um, the promotions that I came across had English subtitles on there. Um, And so it's in this this weird zone of productions being put out, you know, through online channels that for some reason will often come with English subtitles, but then they don't have a market for them. I, I've seen this in a couple cases that, you know, they just don't, maybe they're trying to sell it to an international market, but they don't get any buyers for whatever reason. There was a co-produced um, TVB series that was airing in China first, starring um, Nikki Chow and Roger Kwok. Um, this was a couple years ago. It was co-produced by TVB and, and some group in China. So it aired in China first on their streaming platform and had English subtitles there. But when it aired on TVB, it did not. And it was like, I want to watch that version over there. But I could not find any inroads. China has a pretty strong, you know, the, the, the great firewall, as it were. So a lot of times if you're trying to get in through with VPNs and stuff from the outside, uh, it can be difficult and so it was the same case for the Sean Yu series. I really wanted to see it. I had a feeling it was out there, and it is out there somewhere, but um, they just haven't made it easily accessible. That one, by the way, uh, I think is produced by Wang Jing. The Sean Yu one is produced by Wang Jing and co-directed by Billy Chung, which is and also Clarence Falk. So that's a purely that's a like full-on Wang Jing production. Yeah, you looked up something, Paul, uh, that I didn't put in my research. I, I think it's listed on Wikipedia that there is there's two movies listed starring uh, David Wu. But as the clip showed that you uh, sent me, it's uh, obviously shot on video. It might not even be uh, movies as such. Uh, there, there might be edited, condensed versions of a, of a TV series in the 90s. Then that was apparently directed by Clarence Ford and uh, or Clarence Falk. And uh, despite being on video and all of that, boy, that, that was energetic. You know, everything went boom, boom, boom. And, um, you know, it seemed to correspond to... Uh, that the 90s anyway um clarence fox style that rapid style so um but uh, i'm sure that isn't available with subtitles 
though well I, I don't know because it's um uh the foot the only footage i found uh, that which is you know was on facebook and a couple sort of chinese media sites um it it's very obviously done in with video of the era you know early 90s so that led me to believe that it was maybe a tv series that they condensed into two films if you look on hong kong movie database if you're interested in digging into the weeds on this stuff it's called young wisely one and young wisely two and the images that they have for this there are two what look to be possibly laser disc covers or no i'm sorry not laser disc uh, vcd covers so these were released uh, at some point on vcd through may ah and so yeah i'm thinking probably not english subtitled if you ever you know come across these but um the footage looked wild and crazy um, from from what we could see. So yeah, uh, David Wu stars uh, Loretta Lee or Rachel Lee is the co-star, and you know again it's another thing that's out there that I think fans of the character would probably want to see, but just you know availability is sparse. But back to uh, the Legend of Wisely with uh, Sam Hoy, uh, he uh, could generate box office uh, quite easily in the eighties, uh, normally anyway, and he was the film's uh, producer um, as well. One of his only producing credit. I mean, you, you could might argue that it was a decent sized hit, uh, making eighteen and a half million dollars at the box office. Uh, bigger hits of that year, such as An Autumn's Tale and City on Fire, were closer to twenty twenty five million Hong Kong dollars, so it was trailing them. Uh, but uh, the other action-adventure movie that opened on the same day, as Kevin mentioned, was Jackie Chan's Armor of God, and that took in over $30 million, so he couldn't uh, get uh, get up to its uh, tally. And perhaps being such a big movie, uh, these were disappointing figures. I, I'm not too sure how you analyze that, because, for instance, Aces got places as uh, four with Sam Hoy, earned $27 million the year before. Granted, established series and all of that, but... Um, Still lower than uh, maybe Sam Hoy was uh, was used to. So, quick quick analysis: uh, What would your take be, Kevin, for Legend of Wisely? Uh, uh, are those dis- disappointing numbers? Uh, if you were to give a sort of gut instinct analysis. Yes, thank you for asking me about box office. I'm so excited <laughs> to talk about box office. Um, <laughs> true, I truly am. Um, so that film was actually released as a Chinese New Year film, and its competition, as Ken you just mentioned, uh, it was Armor of God. And it's a mad, mad, mad world. So <laughs> it had really tough competition at that time. So that was the third place film for the Chinese New Year, um, comp- uh, the slot. So, yes, for a Sam Hoy th- film, is kind of a disappointment. As a Lunar New Year film, it's a bigger disappointment. But if you look at it outside of that, $18 million is sort of just okay uh in that period. But as a, new- as a major Chinese New Year release, it was kind of like a bronze medal winner, which you know, means you're the second loser. And uh, it's good that we can lean on you on, on old-timey box office analysis and also current analysis, because I'm interested in that too, but I can't speak of it with any authority. So, so I'm glad that uh, uh, that we have you as a guru on uh, on, on these <laughs> things. So uh, the film was, uh, Legend of Wisely, uh, at any rate, nominated for two Hong Kong Film Awards, uh, Best Cinematography, uh, Peter Powell was the director of photography, and the Sam Hoy performed uh, theme song was... Uh, nominated as well. Uh, Peter Powell lost to James Heyman, who shot An Autumn's Tale, and Vizali yet performed theme song for A Chinese Ghost Story, won the Best Song Award that year. So it's a great year of uh, movies um, anyway. Um, uh, Hong Kong cinema was, was on a roll. So I always love looking back on those 
years in terms of what they nominated. It's not it's not always centered around two big movies of that year. Like yeah, five or six of them are just trying to get into each category and one year, maybe this year, Chiamfat was nominated for Best Actor three times in the same category. And guess what? He won. <laughs> so <laughs> there, there, there's a wonderful... Um, I think it's for the for the year before. Oh, when he uh, there's, a, there's a clip somewhere on, online uh, from the televised cer- Hong Kong Film Awards ceremony when he won for A Better Tomorrow, Giant Flat, and he had been nominated twice before and he didn't win. Like Hong Kong 1941 and maybe Story of Vuviet, um, but I'm not too sure of that. And apparently the speech um, I, I asked someone to sort of um, translate what he's saying is um, he, he turns up really in his street clothes. He's not dressed up. And when he goes up to accept the Best Actor statue for Alberto Mori, he essentially said, well, the first time I wore a tux and a nice nice suit or whatever, didn't win. Se- second time, did the same, didn't win. So I thought I'd just show up in this one. And I won. So, yeah, look at me. I'm a slob. <laughs> so, uh, so it's a lovely clip if you can find it. Anyway. On to the movie review, and uh, for some short opinions, uh, first of all, of, Le- of The Legend of Wisely, if I start first. It's an impressive and ambitious film, and uh, it looks it looks uh, smashing. Grand location work is suitable for widescreen. All handled decently by director Teddy Robin Kwan, who throws a variety of action, adventure, sci-fi spe- spectacle our way, and we're out by the 85-minute mark. It does seem to have trouble turning itself into energetic spectacle though and kind of merely ranks as competent Uh, but it it looks good on hong kong cinema being this technically uh, competent but um it's a movie that doesn't really come to life uh, for me as such so if i give you the floor paul for a brief opinion first of all of uh, the legend of wisely um okay so yeah this uh particular film is based off of a mesh of maybe a couple of, of uh, Lee Kwan's stories, but the main one is the mystery of the golden sphere or the golden pearl, or I'm, I'm not sure how they would have, uh, would have listed it in Chinese. Maybe Kevin will know that, but the English translation uh, was the mystery of the golden sphere, but very, very different um, uh, in, in the direction they sort of take it in this film version. Part of the problem with these series is that unlike say, something like uh, James Bond or uh, Indiana Jones, which I think the the character of Wisely is, you know, in some ways a Chinese-built archetype of those characters in terms of some of the heroics and some of the mannerisms and some of the things he's, he performs. I mean, he's very original in, in what he does, but at the same time borrowing a lot of traits, hero traits from those characters that we'd recognize in the West, that it doesn't do him justice when you put Sam Hoy, who is at the top of his game in the Aces Go Places series around this era, into this role and basically just have him do the same stuff that he does in the Aces Go Places movies, which makes this just feel like a lesser run Aces Go Places movie. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if you pay, if you put a pin in for now and um, move over to Kevin for his uh, short opinion of uh, Legend of Wise, let me. Was it a first viewing uh, this particular movie? Yes, it's it's my first viewing. The thing is, I, I think there's a general problem with Wisely adaptation is that they've never been very good, which is why you've never really had a proper Wisely franchise. Because the problem is, you know, the novels. You know, read the the synopsis of original novel is full of ideas, and it's you know, has all these really fantastical ideas, 
but the film adaptations always just want to make them like simplify them into easy to digest action adventures that they can wrap up in 100 minutes and it's just not what the original wisely is about and it certainly is the case here i mean we looked at if you look at the original plot of the novel wesley doesn't even show up until halfway into the novel Sue, Sue, who is the, the his fiance in the novel, is actually the main character in the first part of the novel. And this whole thing about the golden orb and and what the golden orb or sphere turns out to be is completely different from from what the film is. But here, the film is just sort of taking certain elements of or certain ideas from the original novel, namely the MacGuffin, and just sort of doing this this low rent adventure out of it. Yeah, the, the, the locations are great, you know. Uh, what was it? Egypt and I think uh, Nepal, is it? Um, and they look great. I mean, sure, the widescreen the com- compositions look great, but otherwise, it, it, come, it came out the same day as Armor of God, for crying out loud. I mean, if I was at the cinema, I would be like, yeah, I, I'm not going to go for the Sam Hui go to Egypt film. I'm going to go to Jackie Chan doing his own stunt um, in in another in another country, and, and and obviously press was available at that time that uh, Jackie nearly died making armor of God. So obviously, you you are waiting for that moment. Aha! That's when he nearly died at the end of the movie. There's the outtake where he nearly died. They shot that, so yes. money, money. So exactly, yeah, yeah. Uh, but one thing, actually, after watching the sec- uh, bury me high. I, I, I like Sam Hui as Wesley after watching the second <laughs> film because Chikarg is so terrible. At least Sam Hui has that sort of pop star swagger, like bringing it into the character. Otherwise, the, the films also never really get to really go into depth about how smart the character is. I mean, this character is supposed to be Indiana Jones, right? Even though, yes, if you go by this film, then it's Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull, which is terrible. But if you watch the other films, <laughs> you know, it's like the better Indiana Jones. And and the films never really carry that, that through. So that's quite unfortunate. There is a problem of making the character pop. And I've seen most of the movies we've mentioned. I haven't seen... Uh, the Andy Lau one yet because I'm saving it for for the coverage we're gonna do. But uh, and as I said to Paul prior, I didn't see Wesley's Mysterious Files back then because and Andy Lau, uh, Andrew Lau film and uh, CG. But now growing so much older and so much more stupid, I'm more like yeah, I like the sound of this. Andy Lau is wisely yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Gonna watch that and you know. I'm 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 not gonna be a happy puppy probably afterwards, but I've I've uh, there's a momentum and motivation there, and uh, I'm 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 enjoying that feeling for now. Definitely, I mean, after watching Semway, then again, you realize how good Andy Lau is in that role because yes, the character does need that kind of arrogance, that kind of swagger, and Andy Lau brings it to it, and Semway he brings it to it, but he's too um, he's still too foxy, I think. And so it was completely wrong for the character. So, I mean, the film is okay. The film is okay for what it is. But... I, mean, I mean, it opens in, I mean, the, the, the elements that it brings the, that it has this grand supernatural adventure feel initially, that, that's promising. And like Bruce Barron possessing dangerous powers, like setting people on fire, I believe. He torched one person in, in the desert. And so it's it opens up sort of, sort of intrigue and it looks very impressive peter powell's eye and the production is very beneficial and teddy robin seems to want to step it up as director at least technically because his prior movie was uh, all the wrong spies the sequel to all the wrong clues so we're talking a different kind of uh, scope uh, for sure so uh, there is uh, there is uh, 
uh, promise here. And uh, Sam, Sam is Sam, but I like it better as Paul alluded to when he's around the fun of the Aces Go Places series. Uh, I mean, he has Carl Macca to bounce off of, and uh, when he's around his brothers, it uh, it doesn't work very well here. I mean, he's a he's a somewhat light-hearted, uh, handsome adventurer, and that's okay. But it's not great. It's not uh, something that makes the character pop or anything, which is what's still missing for me in my wise day exploration on on film. But um, it, it looks good on Hong Kong cinema, I think, to expand their look like this. I mean, outside of the Jackie Chan movies, the, the, the Hong Kong movies were usually limited in scope, usually were not shooting in full scope widescreen. So this is very nice. And Cinema City who um, were behind this, uh, they, they've sort of had a statement ever since they just go places to really go all in and uh, expand the feel of a Hong Kong movie and make it somewhat grand and bring in outside uh, personnel as well. And uh, by this point in 87, they had had hits with, with John Woo's movies and Ringo Lam's movies and Choi Hak's movies. So they were on a roll, and um, but it's, it's not uh, uh, a lasting classic or anything amidst all their output or anything. But hey... In and out, 85 minutes, that's no, you know, I, I can't be mad at the movie for doing its thing um, uh, quickly and all of that. So how long can you sort of think that's a bene- beneficial thing for the movie, its technical qualities, before you sort of get uh, a little bit, hmm, about the movie, Paul? You know what I mean? Like, uh, how, 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 how long does the sort of technical quality shine for you until you start dissecting the movie and uh, in, a, in a negative fashion? If you look at it from a sort of Hong Kong cinema spectacle, you know, spectacle film of the era. It kind of slides in there by the end. I mean, they're doing some stuff with some, some special effects and some model work and some things that you don't see a lot in Hong Kong cinema. But before you get there, it's a lot of the same for the era. I mean, you've got stunt work, you've got uh, quite a few fight scenes, you've got a little bit of gunplay. Again, you've got to compare it to what's going on at the time. As you know, Kevin said, you've got Jackie Chan, you've got Sam Hoy in his in his bigger named vehicles up to this point. And, and I, I love Teddy Robin. And one of the things that stands out for me in the film is he was more than willing to put himself into places that go beyond what you would, would expect of him. He was taking on a lot of uh, action-oriented sequences here, and I think it's great. I love to see when he, when he, you know, he does stuff like that. I mean, for people who are m- probably more familiar with contemporary Hong Kong cinema, I mean, think of a role like he does in Gallants. You, you would not look at Teddy Robin and say, "Yeah, I'm going to make him this, you know, badass martial arts master," but he can fit in a role like that, and he can pull it off. So. I think that, you know, he brings some nice interest for me for this film in his role as as uh, David Coe and some of the action that he does. I think they wanted to make him a bit more like a Karl Maka character, you know, him kind of being a little bit of a comedic foil for uh, the Sam Hoy character. But I don't think it works in that regard. But I think in terms of um, what he brings in terms of his own physicality and, uh, you know, some of the stunt work he's doing, some of the martial arts work he's doing. I found that more interesting than Sam, who just seemed to be slumming it through this film. <laughs> I mean, he, he just didn't really seem to be that invested in the role. And I think, again, it was because it was so similar to stuff that he, he you know, had been doing elsewhere. I mean, and 
we've seen Sam take on big iconic roles elsewhere. I mean, he started off the Swordsman series. Um, he was also in um, the Dragon from Russia, which again, Crying Freeman character. Um, so you've seen him jump into these sort of uh, iconic literary roles or, or manga roles and do better than he does here, which I think is unfortunate. Yeah, I don't dislike um, Teddy Ivar. I think I, I always liked his sort of cheeky, happy-go-lucky self. That That's very likable, but there, there's certainly not uh, as memorable chemistry as I've seen elsewhere. I mean, heck, he even managed to strike up chemistry with, with George Lamb. <laughs> and that's a feat. That's a feat, man. Uh, probably best in Banana Cop. Uh, but all the wrong uh, clues is, is okay, too. But uh, So he's always been li- likable and... Uh, uh, and all of that, but uh, for you, Kevin, like the, you know, the movie sh- showcases its sort of technical qualities and location work, and uh, that it, that it's gonna look and try anyway to look and feel bigger. But how how long did that sort of good impression last before sort of the cracks started showing <laughs> in the movie? In a movie surface for you. Well, here's the thing. I, I I watched the film on on a laptop in 2020. I wasn't. I'm not watching it in 1987 at a at a huge. 800 screen cinema with a, with a Chinese New Year crowd. So so the technical aspect didn't quite grab me as it probably would have back in the day. To me, the locations weren't really that impressive to me, you know, because I watched it on a small screen. And so to me, I was just sort of picking stuff up right away, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of funny, especially with the running time, 85 minutes. I mean, now we expect these, you know, big blockbusters to run well over two hours. And I, I was very surprised they didn't stretch their dollars uh, their, and their white screen elements to two hours, to be honest. Um, um... No, because back then, back then, cinemas demanded that you, you fit in as many screening as possible. So actually, these films were encouraged to run as short as possible within, of course, as close to 90 minutes as possible. So people feel like they got their money's worth, but keep it under like 100 minutes so they can pack as many uh, screenings as possible. And I, I'm, I'm grateful they wrapped up in 85 minutes. Yeah, I, I, I guess I'm still fascinated by how filmmakers use practical effects on these big sequences uh, back in the day. There's, there's something that I always repeat when I watch Detective D, the, the first Detective D by Trey Hark. And there's a scene where uh, Andy Lau fights a bunch of deers. And I said, 10 years ago, Trey Hark would have used real deers instead <laughs> of CGI deers. And and I appreciated that. So I still watch these older films and, you know, these older films with big action sequence. And I still appreciate that they use practical effect. For example, the, the quicksand thing uh, where Sam Hui sinks into quicksand. I mean, they'd be doing that in a studio these days. They wouldn't do that for real anymore, right? But back then, they probably managed to do that out in Egypt. Uh, so I appreciate things like that, even though um, the film itself, I, I was just picking things, you know, right away. You know, yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I very much agree that it doesn't feel like this um, unnatural vibe. Like you, you know, when you're on location, essentially, and and the indoor locations uh, reserved for some of the biggest set pieces that involves special effects. They're obviously there in in the studios but uh it, it's a be- beneficial nature to the movie that it is the, that it feels like they are where they are uh it's not even green you know green screen we're in cairo now look at the pyramids Ooh, like no they're, they're there i mean the scene in nepal that there's a scene in nepal i think where um 
Wesley is tracking uh, David Cole. There was a that, that whole that old school Hong Kong film thing where they have a huge crowd surrounding the film crew, and they're just like, we can't even bother just cleaning their set. Let's just have them in the background. I love that kind of thing in, in older Hong Kong films when they can't clear a crowd. Yeah, look at look at Chinese running down the street <laughs> away from whoever. Like, yeah. uh, yep, well, well, we'll just stand there and look until they're done, and then we we'll get on with our lives. So uh, I, I I very much love that uh, snapshot of uh, Hong Kong life as well. As uneven as the movie is, I think it's uh, we it's on the move fairly well. The, the pace is is fair. I mean, uh, try he's trying to find David Ko, so he travels to find David Ko, and then boom, boom, meets him. He finds a map. Everything he needs to know is said there on on the map on the discovery of the map. So boom, boom, uh, right, you know we we don't linger on that for ten fifteen minutes. Then some uh, some hoy action happens, which is. You know, it is what it is because Sam Hoy is not a martial artist, and so we certainly get a fair amount of doubling here. And uh, I mean, there's good work by Sam Hoy's agile, agile stuntman, and uh, so it, it's sort of hard to avoid not seeing that the pace of his stuntman versus what Sam does is quite different to one another. You know, it's a, it's not a seamless hold, but it is what it is. I mean, he, he does whatever action he can. You know, if you want to pick it apart that way, that that's very evident that uh, Sam is no Jackie Chan, and this is what they had to do. But you know, f- fairly energetic little, little action pieces. Uh, was it uh, Blackie Co was the uh, action director on the film? Also appears because uh, he can act. So while he's there, we might as well have him in a little um, uh, acting role. But um, you know, it's uh, it's it's basic stuff, and uh, the, the basic story is easy enough to follow, I suppose. You know, the pearl is good for us, but it's bad in other people's hands. That kind of thing. So we, we get to bury me high. <laughs> I don't know what happened there in terms of story coherence, uh, uh, but that, that's probably my my Western perspective talking. But we'll get to that. The variety of action, it's okay. I mean, the motorbike stunts uh, are, are impressive, of course, but I'm missing that wow factor. It, it didn't jolt my system as such like a like hong kong cinema big or small could so it's, it's competent but doesn't make you go oh, oh wow you know what they did what did i do to sam did sam or robin burn up during that the fire stunt oh my god what happened there it, it's, it's not there for me so therefore it's um it's, it's competent more than um, exhilarating hong kong action you don't really feel like this is a hong kong action picture necessarily so um uh by design or not uh it, it's it's not an aspect that stands out for me, whether fighting or uh, or stunts and all of that. So, uh, did, did did anything stand out for you, Paul, in terms of uh, fighting or other uh, stunt spectacle thing? Not really. I mean, it's there. And again, if you're more familiar with stuff from this era, uh, you know, if you're coming to this fresh, it might be pretty exciting. But I think if you're if you're coming to this with already a sort of backlog of '80s films in your mind. Um, it's it's not really pushing the envelope until you get into like the last five ten minutes of the film when they start to do some some miniatures work and and throw in uh, some of the sci-fi element. I think maybe one of the higher points of the film for me. You do have a, a, a nice supporting cast. Uh, Dick Long is here as Pak um, Su or Pai Paiso's brother. Now, as Kevin alluded to in the the story, this is based on the mystery of the Golden Sphere. She is like the central character for a you know a good half of of that story. Wesley doesn't come in until later, um, but they introduce her and him together here, which is a thing that happens in an earlier story. 
um, when they when they first get introduced together, he is introduced to her and also her brother, uh, who we have here. And and so there's a rivalry between Wesley and and her brother initially. You know, they they are a little bit uh, antagonistic toward each, each other, and then of course that blooms into a romance over time. Um, and unfortunately, the portrayals of of Baisu across the films that she appears in, and this includes um, The Cat and I think later um, Wesley's Mysterious File, she doesn't show up in, in Bury Me High and she doesn't show up in, uh, I don't believe she shows up in The Seventh Curse. You know, but but they are a couple. In the novels, they get married and, and they are, you know, kind, kind of joined at the hip uh, throughout a lot of their adventures. She is, I think, at, at the same level of competence in terms of her physical abilities and her intellectual abilities as Wesley and the way she's portrayed in, in the novels. And a lot of times they're at odds in trying to figure out a mystery. But more often than not, you know, she'll, she might be on her own and she's equally capable. And I think that they kind of allude to that here with uh, Joey Wong's portrayal. But even that comes up short. And unfortunately, a lot of the other portrayals, I think Christine and the Cat and later Shuchi, they just don't come close to capturing the essence of that particular character. I mean, they, they're, they're kind of there as uh, eye candy for the most part, which is, which is a shame. And I think that Joey Wong, because she does, you know, a little bit of action, and of course she's probably doubled in, in quite a few of the, the fight sequences, but I think they, she gets the closest in terms of feel for me for what the character is supposed to be compared with the other portrayals. It's a shame that we really haven't gotten a, a sort of a, a nice, well-rounded Wesley picture. Um, but at the same time, one of the things that this film does that I think is better than the actual story, because the, the narrative in the story kind of peters out by the end, and you can't do that in a, you know, because like Kevin said, a lot of this, these stories are, they have great concepts, interesting concepts, but they're not about, a three-act structure necessarily with a, a big explosive ending. And so a lot of what the original story is about gets tossed out the window because they want this big movie-style ending. And I think in in some ways, this narrative here is a lot more exciting. And if you go and you read the book, it's kind of like, huh. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> so that's how, that's, how, that's how it is. That's how it ends. Okay. And the same can be said, I think, for the cat as well. I mean, having read the, the, the translation of, of the cat, it's kind of like there's some crazy stuff in there, but nowhere near as crazy as what ends up getting on screen. So if we look at it technically, um, it's where some of the better energy resides uh, here as uh, Bruce Barron continues to use his powers. He sets fire to the monk, so there's some fight stunts here. There's some good energy and stunt work and uh, some uh, creative uh, use of uh, the set that they've built. And uh, yeah, they talk of some ethics and morals towards the end uh, in the, this story context that, you know, it's it's probably more elaborate in the writing, but uh, they talk about, you know, our religion is a mistake. It's meant for, for it isn't meant for us. It's meant for the other characters in the movie and all of that so but but they they don't linger on that they don't stop for 10 minutes for a philosophy lesson or a morals and ethics lesson because robin gets it uh, over and done with he lets us move on and for short short movie that doesn't engage greatly that it's not a bad choice to um to have us move quickly through through it all and uh but you, you're able to um admire the, the technical aspects um 
of the film, certainly. And uh, but it, it's interesting that you talk about Joey Wong's character. I have I didn't even know she was a through line in the stories, and it definitely does not show up in the cat. It's uh, it's it's uh, it's the wife, and there's some strangely dodgy, my almost softcore like scenes in in the cat. They're like, <laughs> what is this? Like she she is she's thrown into the pool and she's got a white thing on because she's been playing tennis. So it's like a va voom kind of uh, fodder for the lads, I suppose. But uh, there was no indication that he's a character that uh, you should be paying attention to because she plays a major part. Uh, Joey Wong, very busy actress. It's not one of her sort of more lasting uh, screen appearances of course and uh, her sort of emotional connection to why that they attempt here I think it's uh, one of the missteps of the movie because it Robin really tries to um, force on us that that uh, they care for each other there's an emotional bond there nope I can't uh, figure out where that bond is so it, it's a shame because uh, it would have uh, it would have been nice to have uh, a good leading lady leading man uh, dynamic here but uh, hey after 85 minutes uh, you can't complain that you're in and out that quickly i suppose so um so what else i've actually ran out of my notes so let's throw over to kevin any any notes on on the ending uh was that uh, a welcome sort of site of um, energy and technical technical competency well the ending was weird man <laughs> the ending was weird. I mean, not, I mean, I, I'm not gonna say it doesn't make sense, but that ending was weird. Um, I mean, especially compared to what the original ending. I would, t- I, I can, can I talk about the original ending of the novel since it's not the ending of the film, so it won't be really a spoiler. The, in the original novel, the golden orb is actually home to a race of aliens that are microscopic, so it's like their home, it's their habitat. And that's what the golden sphere, the golden orb is. And of course, they didn't have the technical, whatever money or special effects to do that kind of special way. So I guess that's why they changed it. But yeah, I mean that that I, I like that answer. You know, it's kind of like uh, what was it? And it's kind of like something out of Black Man in Black movies. And and I kind of like that kind of imagination. But of course, they didn't have that kind of money to do it. Uh, so and plus, I I, I want to you know support what Paul said about the Sue character, which is Sue Pack is supposed to be a strong. And, and equal to Wesley in terms of, you know, knowledge and power and, and fighting powers and all that stuff. But none of the films um, I've seen d- does that um, with the character. It just kind of, again, it kind of supports that kind of misogyny, that kind of uh, hidden misogyny of writing woman characters always a damsel in distress. And that happens in, actually, the, 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 the female lead in Bury Me High, I think that might have been the closest to come to, I guess, uh, a sort of pseudo-accurate portrayal of what Supac is supposed to be. Whereas, you know, this film and also Wesley's Mysterious File, they're just kind of weak. And especially here, Joey Wang, especially in the second half of the film, is kind of just like, I'm the rich Brad and I'm just going to follow along. But then when I get in trouble, I need I need Wesley to save me kind of character, which is kind of really weird. Two kind of little trivia things, if I can bring up. Uh, the kid that plays the monk is actually Blackie Coe's son, Alan. Oh, right on. So Alan Coe play plays the little young monk. So he's a child actor, and then now he's a he's a actor, successful actor and singer in Taiwan now. And also, both films that we're talking about today, Bury Me High and and uh, Legend of Wesley, the original novels actually have a very strong presence of the Chinese Communist Party. And they often play the agents of CCP or whatever. They uh, or there was a big cultural revolution element in the original novel for uh, Bury Me High. 
But of course, the film adaptations took out any mention of that. In fact, the original version of Legend of West Wisely, in the original novel, it's about the Tibetan gov- uh, Tibetan um, government in exile, and of course, all of that political stuff got taken out in the in the big screen adaptations, which is kind of too bad, especially this pre nineteen ninety seven Hong Kong. You know, you have the freedom to talk about that kind of stuff, but they chose not to. So that was kind of a, a mis- uh, unfortunate. We wouldn't have been too dense and heavy, you think, for a movie going audiences to include that, or you 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 think that could have found a place uh, without the movie being a a downer or like a political history lesson by including that. Well, it's kind of like how Chinese put Japanese villains in movies all the time, right? So no one really gets gets dragged down by that political implication. I mean, it, um, the way that Nikon writes, I mean, of course, Nikon is notoriously anti anti-communist party um so he always writes communist villains in his films um or in his books i mean in his books um so he kind of writes it like that you know it's just kind of like yeah well yeah the the bad guys happen to be the communist party or they happen to be communist agents and that's just there's no real other political implications other than yeah i i I hate them so i'll just put them in as many villainous roles as i can so yeah so it was it was a it wasn't like a real a draggy thing that would have hurt the film, but I guess they kind of simplified it or they kind of went political correctness. I don't know what it well, was. And, and, and Lunar New Year perhaps wasn't a place to shower audiences with that. I don't know. But, uh, uh, but maybe other Lunar New Year movies of, of the year and other years uh, were happy to include um, such content uh, because uh, money in the bank, regardless, people are going. Um, any other notes, Kevin? Otherwise, I will uh, ask Paul the same. Uh, not that too much. I mean, the film again. It just I just find this to be a better film just because I watched Bury Me High. Otherwise, it I, and I want Paul to sort of chime in on. This. It, I, it's clear that Cinema City was trying to make a franchise out of this, which is why they did the whole uh, Sue and Wisely origin story all over again. They probably tried to set it up as a new franchise for Sam Hui. Do you think this could have been a, a franchise film? I think this obviously had the traces of an origin story in it. I don't know if we would have made a great franchise, but it certainly was planting the seeds for it. So, Paul, I don't know what you think. With this, do you think this would have been a solid franchise for Sam Hoy? I think that given the track record of Sam Hoy and franchises, that he was too pigeonholed in the King Kong role. If you look at the other franchises, right? Swordsman, what happened? Jet Li took over. The Dragon from Russia, Crying Freeman, another franchise opportunity, just never really went anywhere. Um, and I guess he was just, you know, coming to the end of his, I don't want to say popularity, but his, uh, his, uh, cash power as a franchise leader, I guess people had seen enough of him at that point. So, and I, for me, I, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get into more discussion on the ultimate, uh, the ultimate wisely as we go forward in this series, but <laughs> it just didn't come across to me as, as wisely. Yeah, we'll still wait. I mean, I'm 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 gonna see Andy and uh, make my final judgment after that because uh, in 2020 versus that uh, 2002 movie, Andy might just be heads and shoulders above everyone else because the, finally the character pops a little bit. But I don't know yet because uh, that that's coming up. But uh, it's um, the, the the movies that are great. It's thanks to the content and wisely it is not. Um, driving that content necessarily i mean chairman fat is a supporting character in the seventh curse so he's a spectator and then comes in with a bazooka at the end boom you know it's amazing <laughs> and the and wisely as wisely he's um 
he's, he's very much a straight man and he's there to watch and run away from the effects and um, you don't remember him necessarily you remember a lot of great technical spectacle that just um, uh, blows your socks off really with its energy we, we haven't re- really found a that he comes comes out on top as a character that he was the driving force of the movie and uh, I, I I think they, they they probably could have done a movie or two additionally after this one but they they probably needed to scale down on uh, on the scope of it all if this first outing that went so many places and uh, tried out so many technical things if that didn't light the box office a little bit more on fire and probably Cinema City had to do a little bit of rethink and uh, scale down the Wisely Adventure, which I'm sure would be feasible, but who knows if Sam, who produced this, as we said, even was uh, motivated to give it another go based on the, the returns of, um, of this one. So, you know, it's a, it's speculation, but um, the, the, we have the proof that uh, he so, sort of, uh, he uh, he didn't do major series again and... Um, and all of that and this wasn't uh, money in the bank just because it was a Sam Hoy movie maybe without Armor of God things would have been different but uh, that's another alternate alternate story okay then uh, as for availability then of The Legend of Wisely it's been issued a few times on DVD in Hong Kong including by Megastar who actually did quite a good 5.1 Dolby Digital remix on their old DVD uh, but it, uh, it, it's it's the tran- we, we looked at that transfer because uh, that's the only one I have uh, Joy Cell subsequently did a budget release and there's also a Blu-ray in Hong Kong by CMS Media. It's uh, Fortune Star sourced and it looks like they stayed true to form or, and only offered up remix options. This was a mono movie. That in all, um, you know, it was probably worse than that mentioned DVD remix because uh, Fortune Star are not very good at uh, crafting these new surround remixes. If you want to get the lower quality Legendary Collection edition with mono, as Paul noted before the show, you have to pay secondhand, uh, not 20, not 40, not 82 and a half, but about a 130 <laughs> US dollars for that DVD on Amazon. <laughs> not worth it. It's people. Hong Kong not dollars, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you had to check that you weren't, uh, that you had the right currency, Paul. Like Hong Kong dollars, in, in. Yen, maybe yen. I'll, I'll pay 130 yen for that one. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's about the value. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not even a nice even number it's like 130.43 cents it's uh it's uh i don't know about the, these secondhand things how do they expect to uh, move that unit at that price you know it's just going to take up space somewhere you know 20 30 dollars it would be fair in all honesty as a used dvd i could swallow that pill but come on um and, and especially since there is a blu-ray out there and people are more drawn to that blu-ray even if the technical execution of of it uh, is not to my liking personally but uh, you can probably get the blu-ray from ddd house or yes hf for like 20 bucks right now at any rate we're going to take a musical break and we'll be back to discuss uh, another wisely adventure this time starring chin kalok uh, as uh, the character and the movie is bury me high from 1991 your feng shui blockbuster discussion is um, coming up after the break
and welcome back in the second review of this episode it's another wisely adventure it's called bury me high from 1991 and plot from hkmdb from the user master of one inch punch in the small country of carry nun a rich traveler uh, nguyen played by paul chun is looking for a burial spot according to the rules of feng shui's sepulchral veneration uh, aka a good burial spot of family that will increase increase fortunes of descendants. That's what he's looking for. He's helped by Wei Tian Xian, played by Corey Yun, who warns him of the catast- uh, catastrophe of his plans. However, its uh, usefulness, the burial spot, is only good for 24 years or so, and it will expire. Wei, Corey Yun's character, creates a map so a future individual may uh, destroy the burial ground, and he also ends up burying his uh, friend into a wealth spot and himself into a wisdom spot. Cut to uh, present day, I suppose, so wisely, played by Shin Kalok. He's an orphan uh, who uh, lives in uh, the United States. Upon uh, happenstance, he meets Anna Wong, played by Moon Lee, the sister of his uh, dad's friend, who also happened to be in the United States. She believes uh, that the change in fortune between her family and him, wisely, happened to be because something's changed in the burial grounds, or the fact that the 24-year period is about to... Uh, wrap up and the graves have to be uh, disinterred. It is not just a coincidence that Wisely is probably dying. Anna Wong's fortune and company's uh, uh, company fortune is dwindling, and a psychopath, another another uh, Nguyen, General Nguyen, like any good martial arts uh, villain, is uh, wearing a cape, and that is uh, Yunhua, who plays this uh, uh, villain with uh, gusto, as he always do. He is taking over the fictional country of Karinan uh, all at the same time. That's going on at the same time. But they need help, and they find a somewhat retowned uh, uh, UCLA, UCLA professor in the form of uh, uh, the character that Choi Siu Ming plays, and he's also the director of the film. This is a very confusing plot, and... Uh, I'm going to get to my short opinion uh, very quick, uh, shortly. Uh, but let, let, let's just say I, I, I'm praying that the guys will help me uh, clarify some things in the movie for me. Okay. But anyway, there, there, there is some background. That, uh, so this uh, Wesley Wisely adventure puts uh, stuntman actor and director Chin Kalok in the role uh, uh, of uh, Wisely, uh, working alongside girls with guns, icons, Moon Lee and Sibel Hu, as well as the director of the film, uh, Choi Suming. And uh, he's um, an actor, producer, action director, and director of 10 films. Uh, and uh, across in particular three films. And I don't know if you guys had uh, time to watch this as the optional prep. But uh, across three films, uh, films, Holy Robe of uh, Shaolin Temple, Mirage, and, and this one, Bury Me High. Choi showcased an impressive sense and probably desire for the grand looking and explosive and uh, granted, Holy Robe of the Shaolin Temple from 1985 that stars uh, uh, Yu Guang, and uh, it looks like a Hong Kong mainland Chinese um, co-production. Uh, uh, certainly, it looks like it was shot there. It's not impressive on all fronts, but it does capture impressive scenery and extensive amounts of players in, in the frame, and uh, it's got some good action, but uh, it doesn't impress story-wise necessarily. But uh, there is some admirable effort uh, there no lack of attempt uh, obviously what probably impressed more uh, in terms of uh, Choi Suming's uh, vision for action cinema uh, and and it's ironic that this movie is very known but it's out of circulation at the same time it's his uh, 1987 movie Mirage 
that's uh, you know you can probably watch it. the best version you c- can watch is the Japanese Laserdisc, but uh, you have to find it, of course. It's probably his best well-known film, uh, looking at action alone, because um, he sh- it shows that he's an efficient maker of again grand explosive adventures. Again, it looks like a mainland China Hong Kong Coal production. While it isn't you know high on drama and uh, necessarily the most grand story ever told, but it does include some directorial and stunt insanity from Choi Suming himself. Obviously a lot of stuntmen too, but he does the stuff that really stands out. You know, anything could be a bone-breaking stunt in Mirage, it certainly is. And, uh, I, 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 I might as well ask before I uh, get, on with it. Uh, get on with it. Did you guys have any time to um, watch Mirage in particular? I have not seen it. I watched the other one <clears throat> instead, the Holy Robe of uh, Shaolin Temple. I, I think I agree with your take on that. Not overly impressive, given the genre as a whole. It kind of feels like, um, you know, sort of an also ran kind of period piece for the era. Though I think some of the things he does with location and characters does infuse a bit of life into uh, a genre that was by this point well used and and perhaps you know. If you sit down to watch it, you're going to say, I've seen all this stuff before. But again, places that he goes and and some of the characters and uh, some of the stuff that's shot out on location, I think, was much more interesting to see than uh, some of the stuff that is along the same lines in terms of the genre that's done all in set in studio. But I would recommend uh, watching Mirage just for the stunts and firepower alone, because uh, firepower alone, because uh, it really what they do this stunt team and him he really reveals this sort of legendary vicious and distressing side to mirage and not so much due to violence but again just the sheer daredevil stunts on display and uh, there's some terrific big imagery captured by a uh, choice human it, it's probably demonstrated perfectly and perhaps better than um, in uh, the scene where he sets himself uh, uh, on fire he does a mighty fire stunt that uh, goes on for a long time granted it's shot in slow motion but it's a 10-12 second long fire stunt where he's entirely uh, just uh, engulfed in flames and as soon as they start licking his face then they yell cut but he he, he does a thing where he's, he's set on fire I think he rolls on the ground a little bit and then he has to pick up a motorbike and his character needs to uh, do a thing and that uh, that is the director doing it himself and uh, he also jumps out of a, a house that explodes right behind behind him. I mean, we've seen Chai and Fat being blown up by John Woo in movies, and that's a, that's a warm thing, I'm sure. Maybe um, you get a free haircut <laughs> in the process. Uh, and Mirage is amazing for that alone. But it is a pretty decent um, action adventure. Lots of stunt, lots of action, and uh, a very different feel to most movies of the time uh, i would say it's not this uh copy of a jack chan movie or anything i think uh, he he um he pulls off a, a decent um sized adventure and uh, those stunts are gonna kind of haunt you for a little bit you know regardless of who who had done it a stuntman or him himself it would have been just would have been distressing but see seeing choice you mean do such uh an elaborate and dangerous looking fire stunt regardless of how much you gel yourself up it's uh, it's something, all right. And uh, he only sets himself on fire a little bit in Bear Me High. So, you know, he's uh, keeping it on the down low versus, uh, versus Mirage. 
Bury Me High certainly looks big, and it's budgeted a bit higher than most Hong Kong movies, seemingly. But uh, again, we'll, we'll turn to the uh, box office uh, analyst here. A 10 million take of Bury Me High in 1991. It sounds like it's uh, they, they wanted a little bit more box office based on the effort they put forth here, at least uh, in terms of budget and uh, the grand, expensive-looking cinematography. But uh, regardless, uh, what does 10 million say to you, um, Kevin Mai, in 1991? 10 million in 1991 is pretty bad. It's pretty bad. Um, the film came out on, uh, I'm looking at my chart here, January 10th, uh, 1991, and it only lasted in cinemas for two weeks. And this is the month before the Chinese New Year. So that Chinese New Year came with Tricky Brains, the, the Wan Jing Stephen Chow film that I love. Um, John Woo's Once a Thief. And as I mentioned before, um, uh, Operation Condor, which is the sequel to Armor of God, uh, which is why the, the really funny coincidence that that you know both wisely films got soundly defeated by Armor of God movies. So, yeah, so ten million, not not a very good gross at all. Plus, it got released in that sort of Christmas Chinese New Year lull right in the middle there, which uh, shows that there's not much, I guess, uh, confidence in the film. I think so. So yeah, it was it wasn't a surprise that the film really didn't do that well really came a bit a little bit from uh, the sam hung camp because i think boho films are listed as one of the production uh, companies uh, uh, not on the transfer we have but uh, if, if looking at the hong kong movie database it wasn't um, cinema city taking a chance or anything by this point um, uh, cinema city one was as a, ma- as a matter of fact on its last legs by 1991 uh, before they um, they kind of tanked after trying and trying and uh, i think it was their movie the raid or, or at least uh, or maybe um one or two movies after that that sort of cemented that cinema city is um is no more but um regardless uh, let's uh, get to uh some brief opinions and i'm gonna state mine first because um, i'm just gonna throw my hands out in a way where i say like huh help guys i didn't understand this <laughs> <laughs> i mean i'm not going to kid myself and say i understand feng shui I don't. So so maybe that puts me at a disadvantage. But Choi Su Ming does his best at explaining the content and events of the plot. But I, I felt left behind and in the dust most of the flick. And, and action-wise in its, and in, in its set pieces. It doesn't offer up enough rousing stuff. Uh, and it certainly could have. Because Chin Kalok is an appealing martial artist. And Choi Su Ming can move as well. And you got Moon Lee and Sibel Hu here to do stuff. But uh, none of that really pops. It looks smashing. Peter Powell shot this movie as well, just like Legend of Wisely. So that technical aspect does come through. It looks very good. I want to ask you guys, is this, um, if you have no idea of any of the ins and outs of Feng Shui, is this just an impossible movie for you? So if I ask you, Kevin, uh, do you think you need a little bit of knowledge about that to go in to to appreciate what this movie is doing in its content and in its plot? Or is it a matter of fact? Uh, well, it feels like a lot of it is just sort of made up, you know, <laughs> mumbo jumbo. Even though I'm sure there's some. I, I, it's clear that Choi Su Ming is a big fan of uh, Feng Shui, or in the subtitles they call it geomancy. He's certainly a big fan of it, and he certainly has some kind of obsession with it. I don't know much about geomancy, but the the, the prophecy that they put in the film makes sense to me for some reason. You know, at least the basic stuff, like, oh, bury him for blah, blah, but then that would lead to that, and bury him there for this, but then that would lead to that. Like, that to me makes sense enough. It makes enough sense. It's just that when they get into the whole thing with, like, 
computers and blah 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 but in the end you know none of it really matters ken because at the end of the film it just turns into one big shootout so so that's the kind of the i guess both the pros and cons of the film is that all that kind of really complex functionary mumbo jumbo gets thrown out of the window because you know tracy ming knew that he knew, yep because of my time so no i mean to me it's like i didn't really get lost in the plot because there's not much of a plot to follow well, we'll we'll, uh, we'll um, treat that as uh, your brief opinion and move over to Paul. Uh, do, do you think there's um, there, there is a, an advantage to knowing a uh, little bit of what Feng Shui means uh, as you try and um, understand this plot, or do you think it's just a basic thing that hovers over this movie because it's an action movie, really? Well, when I first saw this film way way back in 1991, <laughs> I was like. What? What just happened? <laughs> um, oh, over the years, having uh, digested many a Lei Gui Ming supernormal film <laughs> and uh, come to learn much more about feng shui and uh, as it's often referred to, geomancy and seeing a number of other films. That's the man you follow if you want uh, authority in film on feng shui. You watch the supernormal movies. I could say that this is, I mean, it's it's not unfathomable to watch this going in with no knowledge of it. But I think if you can uh, get, get a couple primers to help you understand a little bit more, because you've got, you've got uh, a couple aspects going on. You know, you've got basic feng shui, which in the West is kind of a little bit different, you know, the way they present it to Westerners um, that you may see it presented here or in other films. But like Kevin said, I mean, by the end, they blow stuff up. So who cares? <laughs> um, I will say this. I, I will say this. Look, if you're interested in the the feng shui slash geomancy aspect of it, um, there's a film you can watch first, which I think is much more approachable, called My Lucky Star from 2003, starring Miriam Young, uh, Tony Leung, Little Tony, and uh, Ronald Chang. And it's kind of the same story here. It's about if you if you bury your ancestors in a fortunate spot with good feng shui, then those that come later, your progeny, will have good fortune in, in various aspects. And if you move them to a bad spot, they'll have bad fortune. Um, and so that takes the same idea and throws it into a Lunar New Year silly comedy, romantic comedy. It's easily approachable and you'll get you know, I think they throw in like Master So, who's like a, a a famous celebrity feng shui master of the era. Uh, he has a cameo in that film. And, and it kind of goes through. They do some explanation here, but it's not very clear, I think. Um, but that film goes through and explains it in, in a way that's a bit more digestible and a bit more modern. So, you know, watch that and then come back and watch this and and I think you'll have no trouble. Um, you don't need to go much much further than that. Um, now, that being said, I like this film as a standalone film, a, a non-Wisely film, better than Legend of Wisely. I, found it, I find it more entertaining. I find it um, a bit more, you know, a bit more well-rounded in terms of the action and the gunplay and the characters and, and the interjection of humor in places. As a Wisely film, I think it's terrible because I love Chin Kalak to death, but I don't think he is good as Wisely. I think he's fine just being sort of the little hacker kid he plays here, but that wasn't Wisely to me. 
And none of the other characters that we know from Wisely are here. Baksu's not here. Wisely is kind of like Bruce Wayne in some aspects. If Bruce Wayne was not Batman, but was just being Bruce Wayne as a hero, not the sort of playboy Bruce, Bruce Wayne. You know, here he's, you know, like young Wisely. And it's like, it's not the character's not established. You know, it's just, it's not a Wisely movie for me. And given the fact that the director himself puts himself front and center as this uh, professor character um which is fine you know he's fine he's fun you know in in what he does but it's just like if you look at this as a non-wisely film just a hong kong film i think it's a lot of fun but as a wisely film no it it just doesn't work i mean the opening exposition of course uh, is helpful as um choice Ming as a character explains throughout uh, as best he can to make sure we catch up what's going on but it's pretty black and white i mean we, we got good guys and bad guys and uh, Things show useful good. Things show useful bad because uh, then you can uh, wield uh, will power if you do it uh, a certain way, and uh, that's fine. But once you get past that, I think the movie doesn't pop for me as much as I, I'd hope. Incredibly impressive in busts, I'd have to say. I mean, um, it's not shot in wide format, widescreen this time around, but it certainly still has an impressive looking feel, and the way, in particular, Peter Powell bathes the frame in uh, distinct color but not the entire frame of it it's uh you know they really uh, to me it looked like they sat down to design a lighting scheme this time around uh rather than just make up some shots as they go along and uh, you're a great cinematographer so we can rely on you for that great cut print moving on so it, it seems like it's uh, a bit more thought out and a bit more designed than uh, most movies of the of the time and there's I, I like Chin Kalok. He's an he's he's agile. He's light on his feet, and he's uh, action able, and that's uh, welcome. But um, as a leading man, it's not a in the bank kind of um, uh, idea. That uh, if he leads the movie, then we're in good hands. Because I don't think that was his ultimate fate to be uh, to be a lead in uh, in the movie. So a good supporting player, also a filmmaker, of course. Uh, so there's motivation to plow forward and uh, even if there, there there's a lot of rapid fire expository dialogue to keep up with uh, as you guys said it does come down to some very basic things and then it's all action anyway but uh, I did find myself you know I, I found those basics but the movie still kept piling on quite a heavy dose of details throughout and in the second half I was just watching characters talk really i had no idea what really was going on nor the tragedy of uh moonly's company and her losing fortune kind i mean i think that's what they're talking about i i felt it was elusive for a while and i wasn't uh swept away by the action tactics uh on display even though some of it was uh quite impressive uh, versus the other wisely films i think uh that kept the premises simple I think the, this one um, was a bit tougher for me to um, uh, to get into, uh, even though it's, uh, as you guys explained, doesn't really matter. Because uh, what they do towards the end, I want their intent is to, uh, to do when all was said and done. But for me, and I don't know how you feel, for instance, Kevin, it never really popped to me as uh, a martial arts spectacle with Chinkalok and Moon Lee and Sibel Hu nor a gunplay spectacle. That stuff was there, but it didn't feel to me while they might have intended that to be the star of the show i didn't feel it uh, really rose to a level where i could say to myself wow the movie delivered 
Chinkalock Moon Lee stuff for me, and that was awesome. Uh, it, it was there more or less. So, any thought on that, Kevin, in terms of uh, action and the, the action players and how they did? The, the moment they said that Chinkalock is playing like a elite hacker, I was just out of the movie like right away. <laughs> like no way, like forget it. Right? Obviously, Chinkalock was cast for to do the action stuff, but then don't call him West. Don't call him wisely. He's not wisely. I mean, that character is not wisely. He's not wisely. He doesn't even like do anything that resembles what wisely does. I mean, for some reason, Tracy Ming looked more like wisely than he is wise than the actual wisely, which is obviously a narcissistic thing. Yeah, it, it, the film doesn't have to be didn't have to be an action film, and it's weird. It's ironic because this film had Ni Quan as a script consultant. Ni Quan, I think, got a story credit on this because not only not only because the film is based on his novel, but because the whole thing of the safe is actually based on another Ni Quan novel. That's not a YC novel. It came it, it came out of a non YC novel by Ni Quan, so it kind of meshes ideas from other Ni Quan's novels together. So maybe that's why he got a consultant credit. But yeah, this is not a this is not a wisely movie. You watch even I know this is not a wisely movie. Is this like a that whole last twenty minutes? I, I thought. The middle of Project Gutenberg stole stole that whole sequence. <laughs> so so no, I mean Chinkalock is a great action guy and he's a great action coordinator, but this film is like you watch this and for some reason someone thought that this guy could become a leading man, it, you know, have a future as a leading man. I I don't know what they saw in him at the time, and I still and I think even Chinkalock would probably look back at this and he's like, what was I thinking? Jesus. I mean, he he really excelled at. Um supporting roles i think especially dramatic supporting yes. roles and especially a few years later when he had that nice run of full throttle full alert even though people might not remember his cop role in that but it's a very nicely um, dramatic role and uh, one of the better things of young and dangerous uh, five yeah young and dangerous five uh, yeah. as he was introduced in that um, and i thought he, car- he carried himself very well but to lead was never really this uh, exciting venture unless the movie really delivered on the action and sometimes or rather most often times it didn't there's a movie called nightlife hero with him with him and max mock that i remember being very entertaining but they really went for it in terms of action and otherwise the movie didn't have much scope or anything but that worked but uh, it was not due to the leaning man charisma necessarily it was due to the physical ability of uh, him being a stuntman and now leading performer and then surrounding himself with good, good stunt people, but uh, but yeah, the, the movie obviously is uh, is um, is old because the, whenever you do computer hacking in in movies, you know you date yourself in ten minutes. So <laughs> that, that's that's what this movie certainly did. With the one of the Hong Kong movie database reviews said that during the hacking sequence, there's like a an early version of Google Maps uh, employed in uh, in that hacking sequence, as the graphics on the big screens are are trying to be all fancy and high tech, and maybe they were, but uh, it dates the movie quite uh, quite quickly. Looking at how it looks technically, that uh, Peter Powell shot this and combined with the action and the basic plot that we have here was that um, exciting an exciting mixture See, seeing the movie employ the action tactics that it did looking as good as it did and combine that with the basic feng shui plot i mean i like the creativity they bring to it uh with some of the action sequences uh, much more so than i than i thought what was being done with legend of wisely legend of wisely to me just felt like a series of different chases and fights and chases and fights as they 
just keep going after, you know, oh, I've got the orb. No, he's got the orb. Um, whereas here, you know, it was like, well, we're going here and 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 we're trying to figure out what's going on and then consulting and then they get into the feng shui thing, which might get a little bit too much into the weeds for a general audience until they get to some of the bigger spectacle end sequences. But I liked that. I like the interplay between the different characters. Um, as I said, I like some of the humor that got gets thrown in. There's a thing with a, a room that has a kind of expanding weird kind of map that comes out of the out of the floor and then they use that to a nice effect and and some of the fight choreography a bit later i think that if the legend of wisely is indicative of the action that kind of was being used in the 80s and kind of winding down by that period because they'd done so much of that style of action that what we get here at the start of the 90s is kind of a lead into more of the 90s era action which i think had progressed a little bit you know obviously learning from a lot of what jackie chan was doing and and other other action choreographers i mean again this is not the most exciting stuff that you'll see and some of the gunplay you know is is not all that great by the end i mean and here you are in a country that's supposed to look like you know a vietnam or or a cambodia or or some other country that's been the backdrop of much better films, you know, Bullet in the Head and, and things like that. So that will be recognizable. Some of the cinematography and some of the effects they're doing, you know, a lot of the blue light that we've come become accustomed to in this era from various ghost story movies and other things is used to affect here. So that's very recognizable. It's not overly memorable for the period, but for me, I just think that it's better storytelling in terms of, of the story they're trying to tell than what the Sam Hoy movie was doing. I think the plot got murky in the second half for me and the pace sort of stumbled a little bit. But the first half uh, has this rapid pace as they go from fighting the club to a country in the midst of civil war. And the, the, the pace was appreciated, even if you don't take it that seriously. And you definitely, as Kevin said, get reminded every now and again that, oh yeah, Chin Kalok is wisely. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> there's no, there, there, there's no like uh, standing with ha- hands on his hips, uh, being the ultimate hero. I'm wisely. Look at me, cinematic audience. No, he's okay. The hackers wisely. Okay, so it uh, it doesn't really matter. You can just ex- exchange those words, I suppose, uh, for a different script, um, uh, for a different character, and and, uh, and it wouldn't have been that type of movie anymore. Especially if it doesn't really adapt a huge chunk of written work but rather as you said kevin takes some pieces here and there including the safe gag uh the safe scene which i think uh, was much needed brought much needed life to the movie as they do the sort of safe prank the uh, i really enjoyed that uh, but but as i said it retains its good looks slick shots and camera choices lots of crane movements helicopter shots and that that continues to look impressive i, I do really like uh, how peter's eye works um the movie uh, and all of that uh, so let's rotate the camera around things and uh, create a grand spectacle that way I'm, I'm perfectly fine by that thing and as paul said in while the action design isn't necessarily impressive it is the elements that they set off in the environments in the bigger war scenes that stand out a little bit more as they set off obviously uh, explosions and uh, blasts in the water and all of that so the actual you know nitty-gritty 
one-to-one gunplay, if you will. No, it's, it's nothing impressive as such. It's not John Woo, but when we get a big grand sort of bird's eye view of um, how just how much choice zooming puts in the frame, that sticks with me. That technical um, competency really does uh, uh, stick with me. And and you're right about that scene where the room changes and reveals uh, uh, a plan, uh, a hidden sort of panel or a table with a grand plan of it all, like uh, like Goldfinger, but uh, only done 30 years later or so. That changing of the room that also takes place during a fight scene looks actually quite fantastic and creative. It almost looks like 3D in the way it's filmed. The, because of uh, the room, you know, obviously going backwards and forwards and sideways. And they're really uh, one of the better sort of creative aspects of the fight choreography to have uh, Chin Kalok and uh, Yunwa fight on these sort of changing uh, uh, on the floor while it's changing and things are going up and down. And um, there's a nice bridge fight between um, Chin Kalok and Cho Wing. That is, and they're surrounded by tons of extras with torches. So obviously it looks great being set at night and all of that but those are images that, that are impressive to me it looks a little bit better than you expect from um, especially early 90s hong kong cinema that progressively got cheaper and cheaper and cheaper i don't dislike how it looks uh, when it has that bird's eye view of it all but uh, cl- close-up action and the two-on-one uh, or two-on-several fight scene in the club earlier in the film it's, it's not terribly terribly impressive and hard-hitting and I was hoping for a little bit more, considering Chin Kalok is able, Choi Su Ming is as well, uh, even though he's a little bit older. But, um, but but for you, Kevin, does it get... I mean, was I the only one who thought like the, the plot got really murky towards the second half, or, or, or do, do they just stop dealing with plot and uh, deal only in action pieces or like a little bit of character drama, as Moon Lee said, because she's going to be poor, possibly? Or, or how was your impression of what the plot was like in the second half before it well before it went boom boom uh no absolutely you're right i think i think uh it did get murky i think it got kind of mired in what a lot of double crosses i suppose was it double crosses if you even count that the whole thing with the safe and then there was that what machine that they had or whatever felt like yes it was trying to set up for this big thing and then uh and that's what it was for the first part is much more clear to go into a new place and they, they slowly, they find out they're in the middle of this coup d'etat or whatever. And then, and then there was a whole thing about looking for a rock. I mean, it, it, the, the first half, the setup is perfectly fine. It's just that, you know, the casting and everything else is bad. But um, yeah, the second half really just sort of overcomplicate things a little bit in terms of the, the actual um, me- mechanism and, and, and things like that. But I kind of appreciate that. Just like Paul said, like, the legend of wisely didn't really care about the science or anything like that didn't care about the ideas it was really just about a chase film really chasing the the dragon pearl which by the way is a chinese chinese name for dragon ball as in the the japanese comic dragon ball so that's just a little trivia for the other film but yeah here it feels like they they um like i said choice Ming obviously seems obsessed with feng shui and all those um all those ideas and he wants to show them off and i think that's probably why he included so much of it even more so than the plot needs and that's what it felt like to me and i kind of numb i got kind of got numbed out and when the action hit uh the really long that really long battle sequence here at the end is kind of numbed out even more because i kind of just stopped caring because then they're just going to solve everything with guns anyway right so to me it just didn't feel sometimes like that happens when even when, when something is impressively staged because uh it, there, there's not five people 
there on screen. There, you know, there's tons of people there. And and sometimes if you're not that impressed in the stretches that preceded, you it's hard to sort of get jolted back into like, wow, war mayhem. And <laughs> you might be numb to it, you're right. Uh, th- those pieces, I think, stood out to me just because um, prior pieces didn't. All that, you know, rapid-fire expository dialogue from Choi Su-ming. The, and and then we then we got some moonly stuff uh, moonly stuff and you know the uh, Yunhua versus Chinkalog versus Moonly fight at the end is very very rapid and powerful one of the better fight sequences towards the end so I appreciated that but um, it comes and go in, in goes in bursts and uh, seeing as I felt quite lost even, even though I yes I could latch on a little bit of a basic plot but sometimes I was completely lost too so it was just a matter of trying to find some aspect of each sequence ah war i know war i know gameplay i know fights i understand now <laughs> so let's 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 get into it then and then it's over hey what about you paul any 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 thoughts on how how it how it uh, equips itself technically towards the end as the action gets that much bigger both uh, both the fight scenes and the actual big uh, big war scenes there it's nothing if, if you're familiar with stuff from this era that is overly spectacular um, it's you're, it's not the best Yunwa fight you're going to see. It's not the best Chin Kalok fight you're going to see. It's not the best Moon Lee fight you're going to see. Um, <laughs> it's you know, but it's all there. It's competent, you know. And so, in in part for me, it came across as entertaining. I did lose interest when they get into sort of the really big battle scene, and they've got what in some scenes look like um, you know actual tanks rolling out, and other scenes look like miniatures that they're using. I'm I'm less interested in that kind of stuff, more so than, you know, sort of the one-on-one action sequences. Um, but yeah, Chin Carlock, unfortunately, he's not wisely. He's just, it's it's just, it's the improper casting. He was fine for the character he was, but that character wasn't wisely in my mind. And I love Chin Carlock. I think he's great in action and, you know, he can do dramatic roles. I think he's undersold as a comedic actor. I mean, one of my favorite roles of his of all time is in uh, Mr. Vampire Saga 4. And I think he's got a talent for comedic action that is just underutilized if you look at his filmography. Um, I love when he makes the occasional cameo, like in a, in a Lunar New Year film, you know, and he's just being silly. I wish they'd give him more of an opportunity to do that. But I think he's found a role over the years as a director, as an action director, and you know, popping into pieces now and then that uh, he's comfortable with and he's made a, a really good name for himself. One of the things that they do at the very end of this film that just really kind of made me go, no, was the very final scene. It's just so weird. It's like, as I said, with the Wisely character, you know who he's supposed to end up with, you know, and and who his relationship is with. So they try to put they try to force in this romance with him and the Moon Lee character, Anna Wong. And at the end, there's this scene where they're reunited and he's riding a horse down a beach that she just happens to drive up on. And I'm like, what, what is, you know, it's just so forced. And so it's like, it's like, we got to end the film now. So let's just throw in a slow motion scene of him (laughs) riding a horse on a beach. I'm like, what? It just doesn't work. I mean, <laughs> and, then, and then they're just like, there's like, oh yeah, everything is soft, by the way, and then end credits. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know. Oh, after it's been a little grim before that, uh, it turns around to give us that scene because uh, characters uh, 
or in quite um, uh, or in peril, and uh, yeah. there is bloodshed. I mean, you've got, you've got fratricide happening just moments before. I mean, there there are these heavy dramatic moments, and then suddenly it's like this, and I'm like, no, no, that's just. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, we got to end it. Let's just do this. And it's just, it, it really falls flat by that point. But I think up to that point, you know, for the most part, I'm fine. I mean, yeah, they do rip some stuff. Uh, there's a rip of a thing from Raiders of the Lost Ark that you just kind of see coming from a mile away. <laughs> but at least the director has the sense to kind of turn it on its head. And, and it becomes a sequence that I that I laughed out loud with. It was that much-needed injection of personality that I wanted in the film, and that included the branding gag that is in two halves in this one. The first half is, oh, Defo, Indiana Jones. The second one is immaturity. But yeah. it was fun. Though. It was great. It was great. Um, you know, and, and it was because of the character, you know, the director's kind of poking fun at himself, and I, and I love stuff like that. So that there are moments of levity in this film where it's not taking itself too seriously, despite a lot of the darker stuff that happens, which I came to appreciate much more than I think um, what was going on in Legend Wisely. I think um, I be, because uh, it's shared in our little sphere here and in, in our cloud here, I would recommend you guys to take a chance on Mirage because it it is it's impressively mounted. It is his best movie as a technical showcase, but action wise, it's it's enthralling and it's dangerous. It's snuff stuff. <laughs> it looks like like it's too dangerous, guys. You 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 shouldn't be doing this, and no one. Apparently, uh, he survived it. Thank God he survived it. Uh, he's the one who puts himself in most peril, choice assuming in Mirage. And uh, I, so I'm, I'm I'm gonna insist that you give that a watch because it's a it's it's a good adventure. It's a it's a competent adventure and way better than both Holy Robe and Bury Me High. To be honest, um, even though it doesn't have star power from Hong Kong. It's him, Yurong Guang from the mainland, and then um, a lot of uh, unknown actors presumably cast out of the mainland. So so that's my uh, recommendation. And uh, we, we, we were blessed that um, some, some folks shared a subtitled version online based on the Japanese Laserdisc. The Japanese Laserdisc was in Mandarin, but someone put English subtitles on it, and there's also a dubbed version of it out there. But... Um, so we can enjoy it, uh, enjoy it that way. So, and uh, you don't get to see Yurong Guang as uh, your male lead good guy that much in his entire filmography, you know. Uh, but uh, I've uh, concluded my notes, so I'll go around the room again. So, Kevin, want to share anything else about Bear Me High, other than that you don't want to watch it again? <laughs> <laughs> um, I I could have bought. The Samuel Hui Wisely franchise, I would not accept the Ching Karlock Wisely franchise. I'm sorry, not even with him on a horse at the end of the film. I, I just can't do it. And Twisu, you know, Twisu Ming, he's like the old-fashioned kind of showman director. You know, he he likes to put a lot of uh, spectacle in this film, and he likes to show off his passion. Obviously, again, uh, Feng Shui here, but that but that old that kind of old-fashioned showmanship also means that he doesn't really care for things like character and stories and you know drama or whatever and it's just all about kind of entertaining the audience no matter throwing a lot of things things at the wall and see what stick kind of approach and for me that 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 feels awfully old-fashioned and i'm glad that hong kong cinema has somewhat a little bit progress progress from that i i 
I'm glad improved. But watching this sort of just reminds me of the worst of that approach to making films. That kind of like, oh, we need to have a big thing every 10 minutes and, you know, a huge action sequence every 30 minutes. That kind of approach just doesn't work for me anymore, especially when you have someone as as, as uncharismatic as an action hero as Chin Karlock. I'm sorry. And it, I like Chin Karlock in other roles. I will not deny I will not I would not, you know, deny that. Um, but yeah, this one just didn't work for me at all. Did anyone see his uh, last to date directed movie, Choice Human, uh, Champions, uh, starring Dickie Chung? I think we we saw Champions together, didn't we, Paul? Yes, we did. Yes, we did. Any good? So, no, it was okay. I mean, <laughs> again, the same the same kind of problem. You know, it's like it, it it's it's one of those um what you call it one of those like patriotic rah rah kind of thing mixed with that kind of old school showmanship and I don't remember any of it to be honest. Yeah, I mean, pretty practical martial arts action. Yeah, I I didn't know at the time that uh, Dickie Chung could do somewhat serious role because I'd only see him be an absolute nightmare in, <laughs> in future cops. I mean, I, I like future cops, but he's a nightmare in it. And like Black Panther Warriors. And then when someone said, well, it stars Dickie Chung as our martial arts leader, second martial arts leader. <laughs> really? It might look good on him. Who knows? But uh, what do you remember from Champions Ball? No, I mean, it was not, you know, as Kevin said, not super memorable. It, I just remember, you know, for the era, he was not relying a lot on, uh, you know, CGI or anything, but really sort of old school, um, just pretty standard martial arts effects, trying to introduce a few new, you know, a couple of new names, new talent. But unfortunately, I think it was a little bit, you know, kind of kind of missed the boat in terms of what the Hong Kong audience was looking for, for action martial arts films. And uh, this is even pre the sort of upswing, I suppose, uh... Ip Man provided with um, provided in terms of martial arts yeah. movies. Uh, I think that this is a year or two, or even three, prior to um, to Ip Man um, taking over, not just uh, played by Donnie Yen, but played by everyone and uh, and their cousins, I suppose, because it's it's open season on Ip Man and it still is. Yeah, which is a good and bad thing, I suppose, uh, because uh, if you get a ten Hong Kong dollar budgeted Ip Man film, might not be the best thing, but if you get uh, like a, a suitable spin of like old Ip Man. In in uh, in the form of Anthony Wong, that's good. That's uh, that's quality. That's creative. But that's another story. Um, as for availability of uh, Bury Me High, uh, a little bit uh, different. Uh, difficult. It was issued twice on Hong Kong DVD by Universe and Joy Sales, but none seems to be in circulation anymore. None retained the original Dolby Surround audio mix that the movie was given. There's a Dolby Stereo logo at the end of the movie, but. Um, it uh, it doesn't exist on home video. It wasn't on Laserdisc. That was mono, and uh, Universe DVD was a remix using the mono, so it wasn't uh, replicating the original Dolby Stereo recording. A bootleg version of the original Universe DVD can be found secondhand at fairly reasonable prices, however. But uh, I, I didn't see any apparent listing of the latter joy sales dvd but uh, if paul did some googling he will probably find out yo no it's out there it's 296 (laughs) dollars great (laughs) and not hong kong dollars (laughs) and it would be probably too much for uh, for um in in hong kong currency as well 300 but uh, yeah it is what it is and um at the current rate of um Blu-ray reissues in Hong Kong. Maybe Birmingham High has a chance of um, being put out by CN or Panorama, but we don't really know their 
their mission in terms of what titles are going to come out. It just seems like monthly we get uh, great ratios of uh, catalog title that's been absent for ages. And some that has been on DVD just a few years ago, for instance. So you never know, but it's quite... Um, it's quite exciting. I mean, do, do you even care, Kevin, for some of these uh, reissues of um, 80s and 90s action movies? Like Law with Two Faces, for instance, the Danny Lee cop movie that he won the Best Actor Award for. Just uh, hit uh, Blu-ray and we had like youth dramas like Lonely 15 was just announced for release. Like, do you care for that stuff uh, as it um, as it hits uh, Hong Kong uh, or do you have interests elsewhere currently? Well, that's not exactly what I grew up with. Per se, I mean, yes, it they came out after I was born, but you know, I'm not gonna. My parents are not gonna let me watch Lonely Fifteen when I'm like four years old, right? So <laughs> you, you can so, learn a thing or two about growing up here. Yeah, yeah, that, that wasn't gonna happen. So I didn't really get other than the stuff that you watch Chinese New Year or you know go to the, during the big holidays. I wasn't really going after Hong Kong cinema as I as, as I did until maybe the early 90s maybe maybe I watched some of that older stuff and I don't remember any of it I don't know um so I mean it's it's a good chance for me to discover some of these I mean of course I have heard of these films uh they're very famous um and you know they pop up all the time when you read about Hong Kong cinema so especially you know pop culture at least in pop culture so so it would be interesting um chance for me to sort of rediscover all of this and look back uh but if you remember i mean we were we were making like 200 films a year at, at that point mm-hmm. so it's going to be hard to re-release everything that sort of quote-unquote mattered and, and to watch all of them uh i suppose it's already been way too uh not way too much but more than i expected in terms of these re-releases that um those two companies i think um, or three i think maya might be involved in t- uh, involved too to some degree but panorama and cn seems to have um, taken the sort of um, uh, official uh, we're gonna we're gonna be the official uh, catalog titles reissues people and uh, put out some stuff that um, hasn't been out for a while and if so it was on these old universe dvds like bury me high or law with two faces as i said it's um, and you can't get those dvds anyway you, so it's it's nice to see and also hard to keep up with because you didn't expect Kevin to have reissues of movies like Men Behind the Sun two and three on Blu-ray. <laughs> you know, it's a, so it's a, it's a strange these are strange times. But uh, like you got uh, reissues of legit classics uh, uh, like People's Hero and uh, those movies, and um, so it, it's cool. Um, I wish I knew what they had. Although I sh- I should add that I I, I super I totally hundred and twenty percent appreciate the chance to do this show right now because it gives me the chance to look back at all these these legend of for better or worse I mean yes these legend of wisely movies I mean even if they're terrible I mean you know I've watched way worse Hong Kong films so I I really appreciate the chance to to sort of look look back at these older films that I never got to watch that is for sure I mean this series that is going to continue in a in a in additional episode we we found two more including uh, the Andy Lau one Wesley's mysterious files let's see how um how how that goes I mean you, I know you guys like like you you shudder and your blood freezes at the fourth <laughs> off Wesley's mysterious files but I'm I'm still ignorant and naive enough where I just lean back and like yeah Andy Lau wisely maybe some cool CG 
don't remind yourself, Ken, that Andrew Lau directed and you'll be fine. <laughs> like, it's not an Andrew Lau movie. It's not an Andrew Lau movie. God damn it. It is an Andrew Lau movie. I can't let it go. It's not good. And then that's our review for the next episode, essentially. <laughs> uh, um, it's an Andrew Lau Wang Jing movie, Paul. Uh, Ken, it's even worse. It's a Wang Jing Andrew Lau film. Isn't that encouraging, though, to know that, oh, it's not going to be stuffy and boring because Wang Jing is involved, too, so... Oh, wait to see the film, Ken. There's one scene that is ultimately memorable um, involving a certain director that makes the film entirely worthwhile, so... Because I don't care about the CG thing, though. Like, like you you guys talked of... um, uh, Detective D, for instance, oh, the deer scene, I'm a CG, it's so bad. When I watch that stuff, and even the tiger in the taking of Tiger Mountain, ah, it's okay, it's okay. I wasn't taken out of the movie, it's not laughable, so I'm not um, going into Wesley's Mysterious Files. It's it's not the CG element that um, I'm fearful of uh, being a date, that it's, uh, it's Andrew Lau that I'm fearful of, of being terribly boring again. So um, we'll, we'll see, but still, Andy as wisely, that's motivational enough so that's what we're doing next episode plus an additional sort of obscure uh, wisely movie but uh, more on that uh, next time i suppose so uh so did you guys uh, go out back in the day together to go see uh, wesley's mysterious file so that was uh, prior to uh, you going to hong kong paul and you coming back to hong kong kevin no i was there for it um <laughs> i don't i don't remember if uh if it was one I watched on my own or watched, you know, I'm I'm old, my memory's no good. But yeah, I was definitely there for it. I was definitely not there. For, I watched it on VCD, and I kind of it was very painful. No, not uh, 193 US dollars down the drain for that one. Probably 20 Hong Kong dollars down the drain for the VCD. So you're all good. It 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 hasn't crippled you financially, Kevin. No, no, it was and like a piece of so no, it didn't hurt that much. And on that note, I mean, talking back to the, the the topic of the current DVD releases, well, it's great that we we're getting stuff that's you know been long out of print or never been in print. I'm thinking of stuff like a gift from heaven, for example, that you can now get. It's still, I mean, the the, the rate of release and the cost is still like wow. I just, you know, I can't keep up. I've, you know, so I have to, I have to go for stuff that I don't already have in yeah. an older format, you know, on DVD, because I mean, we've talked about this before, but a lot of the stores in Hong Kong, the the mom and pop shops and stuff, where you could buy stuff secondhand, five to ten dollars US, often very good quality. Those are gone. And the days of like, you know, cheap DVDs and Blu-rays, you know, some titles are out there you can get, you know, pretty cheaply still. But a lot of this new stuff, you know, you're talking $30 a pop for a new Blu-ray U.S. And it's like the rate of release, I I, I can't keep up. So I've got to make decisions. I've got to triage what I'm buying. It's like, do I have this? Yes. Uh, Do I have this one? No, go because I got to get this one. I agree. I mean, I'm I'm satisfied with DVD quality most of the time. I I did get People's Hero and already had that remastered DVD, but I did get People's Hero because that that is a dear favorite of mine. But uh, for instance, I didn't rebuy A Tales of Gold. Uh, I have that on DVD and that was fine. That came out on Blu-ray, even though I really liked the film. So yeah, I'm, I'm selective too. And also need to watch uh, the stuff I have on my pile and things like that. So yeah, we have a problem, guys. We we can't get everything we that's out there now that it now that it is out there. We're in that uh, stage where we're no longer complaining about stuff not being available now that stuff is available. We're like, I can't get it. 
Sim- simply not logically possible. Uh, I need to be uh, restrain myself, but hey, it's a good problem to have. Anyway, uh, Wesley's Mysterious Files has stayed in uh, circulation because uh, that was reissued on Blu-ray uh, as well. So, so for better or worse, uh, that's uh, out there, and uh, we're going to cover that next episode along with another movie. But uh, in the meantime, for all your podcast on fire network needs, go to podcastonfire.com. All relevant links. Social media links and so forth are available in the show post, so check that out. So I'll keep it short and sweet. And for over to Paul, just to plug uh, East Screen, West Screen, and I hope you resolve your uh, tech issues. I can't help you with that because for on our side, that's an automated process, uh, getting it into the feeds and all of that. So uh, I hope you get some clarity in terms of how to technically overcome that issue soon enough. Yeah, I hope so as well. But in the meantime, you can check out... Uh our stuff over at concast.com and the show is uh, east screen west screen and uh of course uh, he didn't mention it at the top but uh my buddy kevin has a site called asian cinema right asia in cinema which i haven't updated since uh what award was it last the last award i watched uh golden horse because there was no hong kong film wars this year so there was no live blog yeah i've been working on other things so i haven't had time to really update the site so but yeah that site still exists but, but I do have a company. Yay. Yeah, my company is a translation firm called Zakaten Media. Z-A-K-K-A-T-E-N. Uh, for all your translation needs, come to Zakaten Media. So so, so, well, so was your company officially uh, responsible for the translations that you mentioned at the top of the show? Uh, or you did those way back in the day and they're just coming out? Well, I, I did it under the company label, but... Uh, the two Emperor films, 77 uh, Heartwarmings and uh, Just One Day, will have the Zakaten media label on them uh, in the credits. Boom. I think also um, Mr. Monster, the the upcoming film by um, Henry Wong, who's the co-director for Derek Kwok and does a lot of special effects. He's making his directorial debut and it's coming out later this year. Um, it's called Monster Run, I think. I think that film will also have the Zakaten Media name on it. But otherwise, I mean, all the films I've done in the past year are all officially, quote-unquote, done under Zakaten Media. It's just that they show when the credits are not. That's a, that's a different thing. Make sure you stay for the entire credits, kids, and um, mm. and uh, and uh, give uh, give uh, Kevin his props and, and as the as the logo comes up. Really, Yay. no one, no one else. One no, no. one company, one company even asked, "Do you want to put your company logo in the film?" I'm like, "No, I'm not like a sponsor. Like, no, I'm not like Coca Cola. Like, don't do it. I'm fine. You don't need to do that." Sponsored by like the, the watch company Coca Cola and Sakatan Media, like uh, <laughs> like they did back in the day when the movie was ended or after Andy Lau died at the uh, at the end, which he always did, and then like the first thing you saw in the credits was like sponsored by Casio, <laughs> you know, immediately <laughs> a big old watch logo. So you, you can go back to those old school ways. The way they do it now is that uh, Andy Lau would cry, and the tear would like drop on his iPad, and on the iPad would be like Kevin's website. <laughs> excellent you have some clout in the industry you can make that happen Kevin yeah maybe but I, but I have to pay for it if I have to like forego my translation fee for that logo I'm like no just just it's fine just give me the money I don't want, <laughs> I don't want the I'd rather get paid fair enough well uh, thank you guys for this um, uh, or wisely deep dive we're going to do another one uh, just because uh, I, I wanted to include the Andy Lau version in some shape or form just because you know it, it is officially uh, a movie with the character so that's why we're doing two episodes uh, well, also I, because you hate us Ken you hate us so much let's hate together to in the next episode then. <laughs> maybe I'll like it very very much because I'm so old and stupid I'd like, oh, I like the pretty colors 
Look at that chiu chiu. She's pretty. So, um, and Rosamund Kwan is pretty. Five out of five, guys. I like this one. At any rate, uh, we are done for this episode. Uh, I've been Kennedy, and with me was the episode lovely duo of uh, Paul Fox. So, say goodbye to the kids, Paul. Bye bye. And also, Kevin Ma was with us. So, take us out. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>